This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is supported by Trustonomy, an original podcast from One Trust. Every good relationship you have, personal or business, it involves trust. But we all know that trust doesn't just happen, right? We've all lost trust in a friend or a brand or a product. Trustonomy is a new podcast that looks at true stories from the past to understand how trust works and what makes it stronger and how to rebuild it when it's broken. Now, you know, I'm a sucker for a good podcast that weaves historical stories and relates it to what's happening today. So I thoroughly enjoyed this Trustonomy episode and recommend that you check that out as well. Search for Trustonomy in your podcast player. We'll also include a link in the show notes. Many thanks to the One Trust team for their support. As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing. They're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security again HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. Welcome back to Rocketship.fm. Michael, how are you enjoying the season so far? Man, I'm definitely enjoying it. I sure hope listeners are enjoying it too. Definitely a break from the last couple seasons with our product failures and product journeys, but... I don't know. I think it's going really well so far. Yeah, it's fun to hear the confessions for sure. Um, Maybe even more fun to talk them through with the guest experts that we have on. So, yeah, I mean, my perspective is so far so good. And that will be no different today. Two more confessions. A great guest who product people are going to be very familiar with. Let's get the show going. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts. Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. All right. As we said, two more confessions to go through today. One of these is something that I think a lot of people will be able to relate to, actually. Oh, yeah? 100%. I mean, I don't think 
I'm giving too much away right now to say it has something to do with communication issues among the team. And uh, as sad as it is, I think I've dealt with communication issues in probably every company I've worked with uh, one way or the other. Yeah, it's it's not too surprising, really. Um, so what about that second confession? Okay, the second confession is a doozy. It involves an unexpected cross-country trip unwanted advances, somebody gets fired. There's a lot going on with the second one. All right, so where do we start? The seemingly tame communication-related confession or the wild, uh, I don't know, train wreck of a confession? Well, you know, I like to keep the big (laughs) confessions for the end when I can. So we're going to start with this first confession that we're calling Communication Conundrum. I work at a large company with several product teams. And my confession is really that While I keep a smile on my face, I'm dying on the inside. Here's the situation. Some product teams within the company are excellent at communicating to what they will be delivering in their roadmaps and communicating as they release. But others, and I'm looking at you back-end product teams, well, they don't really communicate at all. It's so frustrating. Not just because it creates massive challenges given that our features impact each other, but more so because it seems like we can avoid this if we all communicated better. If we can't plan with the whole landscape in mind, we could end up doing redundant work or be delayed waiting on another team to finish a dependent component. So yes, I'm definitely frustrated. And if it keeps up, I may have to start looking for a new role. I hope it doesn't come to that though. Because there's a lot I like about my job, too. Any tips on how to improve consistency and quality management of product teams, not just product features, would be helpful. All right, so this definitely is a confession I can relate to. I'm sure that a lot of others can relate to as well. So which guest expert did you line up for today, Mike? Who are we going to talk this one through with? Well, when I think of the issue of product teams not communicating well with each other, um, I think of conversations that I had in the past with Melissa Perry. Now, Melissa is the founder of Products Labs, but also the author of the book, Escaping the Build Trap. Melissa is definitely the right person today. Uh, Plenty of product people and product leaders have learned from Melissa, whether it's through the Product Institute, which is like a product learning hub that people can access online, or the CPO Accelerator, which is specifically for those entering product leadership roles. Yeah, and she's always very active in writing. Um, She is active on social media. Um, She speaks a ton. We've had her at Industry multiple times. So yeah, Melissa knows a thing or two about product issues. Um, In fact, Melissa is always finding herself in the position of being, you know, one of the people that companies bring in when they need help because they're experiencing challenges exactly like the one in this confession. All right. Well, let's bring in Melissa and get her take. So I think what, what I'm hearing is that there is no consistency for getting people together and forcing them to share that information. And until you really... so. Large companies need a forcing function. I'm sorry. Like it's, it's, it's one of those things where you want to say, oh, I, I think we would all be great and we'd all be adults here and talk to each other, but that just doesn't happen. And you need to create some kind of standardized cadence for meetings and rituals and um, getting people together because it's too big. And a lot of people just see it not as their job. So it should be the product leader's job. I'll say that too. So you can go blame your product leader for not implementing that or tell the product leader that they have to stand up a product operations team to handle that. But that's what needs to get done. It needs to be a consistent schedule where it's like everybody comes here once a month and we all share this information. 
And then I would also say they should be posting that publicly so that you can all find it. So we created like wikis where everybody could go to the page and find the roadmaps of each team, see where the updates Mm. were. And you would get in trouble if you were not consistently updating that. Like teams got yelled at and called out in front of the whole company if they were not putting the information they needed there. So that was part of their performance reviews for sure. What do you, how do you feel about like the, the Amazon six pager and which kind of solves the same problem, right? It is, 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 are those the kind of, uh, processes that that you've put in place or yeah that that's one of the pieces whenever i go into a large company we we implemented i've implemented this so many times it's like you get the meeting cadence down you make everybody share what they're working on and what their strategy is so it's not just about sharing showing like a roadmap where you're like hey here's the epic that's going to get released in february nobody knows what that means when you see it on like a spreadsheet so it's like, what is the context behind it? And that's where those Amazon six pagers or your two pagers or um, I've seen people do lovely product strategy decks or North Star decks um, of what that all means. I think whatever format you choose to communicate it with is like stick with it, making consistent across the board, make people put it down on paper and then just have those things live somewhere. So we like had an internal um an internal page that we would create where everybody's stuff would get shared and then it would be constantly updated if needed. What I also liked about the six pager, which I, I think you've kind of alluded to here, but it's that the leaders or the product managers in this case, but potentially in each function are, are then weighing in on each other's roadmap, which is a central part, right? It, not just knowing what they're doing, but also agreeing and having opinion in each other's roadmap. Yeah, that's part of strategy deployment is what we call it. So when you're creating product strategy, it's about building that six pager. And then strategy deployment is about telling people about that six pager, letting them read it, and then having their input on it and making sure that everything aligns across the board. So typically the way it would work is we we do it from the top where everybody writes their six pagers at the C-level. They deploy it down to their VPs or directors. Then they write their six pagers about what does that mean for me, right? Like, what does this mean for my products? They would share it back up with management and share it with their teams. Everybody would comment on it. And directors and the VPs are also giving feedback to the ones above. Um, and then we're aligning it, making sure that what we can do is possible. It all works with it. It works across the products. It works within the products. Everything looks good. And then we deploy that down again to the teams. And that's where your roadmaps get built. That's where your individual product strategies get built, your epics, those types of things. And then those teams are building it, sharing it across the teams, and then also sharing it up to their managers and making sure that that works. So it's a lot of communication back and forth. Right. It sounds like this person's kind of stuck in the middle here. Mm Any advice for for them kind of, they probably can't be the change, but for advocating for the change? Yeah. I honestly have gotten to this point where I just tell people to do it. Like, do it yourself. Do it for your stuff. Show people you could do it. Um, I think we spend too much time, especially if we feel like we don't have the power to change things, trying to get other people to change when we could just change ourselves. And Mm. hey, it may catch on. It may not. And you may decide to stay, you may decide to leave. But if you do it and show that it works and you can try to encourage other people to do it or say, this is what I'm doing. Here's my product strategy. I appreciate your comments. Let's get together and align our product strategies together. Maybe the other people will do it too. I find that a lot of people just don't know what to do. Like it's not that they don't want to do it. They just don't know what, what the answer is. They don't know how to do it. So if you can be the person that leads that and shows them what to do or says, hey, this is something that we can just try, um, you might get a lot of uptake on it. You might get people who just want to follow and they they didn't know how to do it. So now they're like, oh, okay, cool. We'll do it that way. I like that too because it's, it's also something that management can start to see. And it's like, wait, a minute, this person's being the product leader without us asking them to be the product leader. 
um, which that's where we want to be, right? So I like that. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I think we, I, I've done this for so long. I've heard so many people be like, my leaders won't change. I can't get them to change. And I'm like, well, what have you, what have you done to change? Like, what have you tried? Mm. I, I firmly believe in asking for forgiveness instead of permission when it gets to that point. And especially if you're like, hey, I might leave. It's worth a shot. <laughs> it's worth a shot to try something new and just see if it works. I honestly have never seen anybody get fired for trying something like that either, right? Like it, nobody, most leadership teams are like, thank God somebody in here is doing something where I can see what they're working on because I guarantee you every leader in your organization is probably like, oh shit, I have absolutely no idea what's going on. Like, especially if you're in a large organization that just doesn't quite get product management or you're new to it, most of the leadership team is just looking for somebody to step up and do something that works. And then they're like, okay, everybody do it that way. Okay, before the break, we heard about the communication issues that were happening among the product teams at a very large company, it sounds like. And Melissa helped navigate the situation pretty well. So what's next for us to dive into with Melissa? All right, well, like I said, this one is kind of a crazy one. Uh-oh. Yeah, I'll just get right into it. I think this title, I think this confession is titled appropriately. This is more than awkward. I'm on the customer success team at a software company that's all remote. Well, I know that now everybody is all remote, but we've been all remote for years. And as a remote company, we usually get together every six months, so for an all-hands week. It's part of getting team members on the same page, and part just team bonding, really. I actually have always looked forward to these. Our company has always done a good job with them in terms of keeping it productive, yet planning some fun things for all of us. Our company has been growing at a good clip and we're always adding new team members. What that means is that it's very common for employees to be working with each other without ever having even met them in person. Plus, we're usually always isolated in our home offices. So these all hands weeks were something that many of us looked forward to. Last year, before COVID, something happened during one of the all hands weeks and it was incredibly awkward. I'd always communicated with many of the engineers because I had to. Issues came up with customers, and thankfully, I had a direct line to our engineering team to share issues, when needed. I had a great working relationship with many of the engineers, designers, and product managers, and I actually appreciated having this direct line to them. We had our all-hands week last January, and I got to meet several of the engineers that I've been working with. It's nice to finally put faces to the Slack profiles and learn that, hey, they're actually real people, just like me. One of the engineers in particular, we got paired up for a couple of hours of a team building activity, and the activity went well enough. As a part of the activity, we had to share things with each other and then report on what we learned about the other person to the rest of the team. It was, you know, just a typical team building activity. We all took our flights home, and by the time I landed, I had a voicemail from that engineer. He told me that he made an impulse decision and took a flight to my city instead of going back home. He was waiting for me at the airport and was hoping that we could have dinner that night and see what happens. I have a boyfriend. He knew this. In no way did I do anything that any normal person would believe would be something that would have led him on. My boyfriend was actually at the airport to pick me up, and here I was, 
literally looking over my shoulder to make sure that the engineer wasn't anywhere looking for me. Only once I got home did I text him to tell him that it wasn't okay what he did and that I was in no uncertain terms not interested in going to dinner or anything else. I suggested that he take the next flight back home, then I blocked his phone number and called our CEO. The engineer ended up meeting with the CEO that next week, and the CEO actually let him go. I didn't ask the CEO to do that, but I was relieved, but still embarrassed by everything. So yeah, that's my confession. Oh, one more thing, to add to it all, the engineer actually left a negative Glassdoor review on the company, saying that it was sexist against men. That is unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievably awkward, unbelievably wrong. Um, yeah, let's get Melissa's take on this one. Have you ever heard of anybody else kind of in a crazy situation like this? Oh my God, I've heard so many stories of people in crazy situations like that. I'm happy, nothing, nothing that crazy has ever happened to me, which I'm pretty thankful for. Um, but yeah, I, I know a lot of women who have been like molested at conferences or, you know, um, stalked by people like that. Like he, he, this guy's freaking nuts. He like flew to her home city. Like, come on. Like if guys are listening to this and thinking that that's okay, please reevaluate. So I think, yeah, I mean, man, I feel bad for her, but I think she did the right thing. Like you, you don't stalk somebody. I mean, I understand if somebody like asks someone out and they say politely, like, no, thank you. I'm not interested. Is that a reason to go to the CEO and be like, this person asked me out, like, uh, they should be fired. No. As long as that person's respectful of your wishes of saying no. But this person like stalked this person to another city and flew into the airport and were like, never asked if that was okay. Never saw if she was interested and that is not okay. Yeah. That's not shooting your shot. That's like just weird. It's like weird and creepy and not normal. And in this case, the company did the right thing in letting the engineer go, but I, I'd be curious, what if they did it? Yeah. I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm not an expert on that either. It's a hard one. Yeah. Um, if it, you know, there, there's a couple of things that I dig into that one because of that man's actions, she would have been out of a job, right? Yeah. If she chose to leave. So like she could have been on the path to promotion and been doing really well. And he just derailed everything because he saw her as an object of something to like conquer or have a relationship with and didn't really take into account her job and her, you know, her stuff, her feelings, like from her yeah. perspective on that. So, oh, you hear about companies doing this all the time, but, um, you know, that's, that's something to consider. Like, should she leave? No, she shouldn't have to leave. The company should take care of that. Um, but I don't think we have good enough protections in place to protect people from that type of stuff. And everybody's like, oh, just get over it, be flattered. But if you can't do your job because somebody is, you know, pursuing you like that or making you uncomfortable in the workplace like that, and your company won't say that's not professional, yep. that's not a company I would want to work for. Um, but that would suck. You know what? I, I think if the company chose not to back that person, I hope everybody quit that company and then just leave them in the dust. It, it's so hard to like weigh in on because I have a lot of my feelings, but I can't, I can't talk for the world. And my feeling is, you know, you shouldn't have to go through that. And it's the management's responsibility 
to keep their employees productive and safe. And you cannot be productive if somebody is stalking you or hounding you or not allowing you to do your job because you're worried about your safety and not rocking the boat and making sure that everybody gets along so that you can work together. And I think it is an utter failure of leadership. Like, I don't look at these companies who, you know, sweep these things under the rug and go, oh, well, you know, that's just the company. I look at it and I say, the CEO is responsible for that. Every leader is responsible for that. And the buck stops with the CEO, stops with the board. So I don't think every company deserves good employees. I think there's other companies out there that do deserve good employees. And if I was in her position, um, if the CEO did not do that, I'd say like, one, kudos to the CEO for stepping up, addressing the issue and doing that. And also if this person is like posting Glassdoor referencing it's sexist against men, like I'm sure that conversation with the CEO went one way where he felt like this was <laughs> a thing that he had to do. Um, and kudos to him or her for doing the right thing. But had it not gone the other way, uh, I probably would have looked for somewhere else to go. My crazy thought, and I know this might sound really extreme, but my crazy thought is for guys to just not do that, (laughs) for guys to not be weird, not be creepy, and don't do that stuff. I bet we'd have have a better world if that was the case. But that's just me. Oh, my God. I got like an email to my Harvard email because it's it's like out there. Um, it's like what it's very public what those emails are because you can go to the website and then email me. And somebody was like, I want to get um, a research position with you. Uh, also, don't ask me for a research position because I just I don't have a research budget. So I'm sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, don't, I, I can't take any research people. So um, he was like, I want to I want to get a research position with you. And then Literally, the next email was like, oh, I just looked at your picture and saw what a rare beauty you were. Will you marry me? And I was like, (laughs) first you're asking me for a job. Then you're asking me for your hand in marriage. I was like, it's going to be a hard no on all fronts there, buddy. (laughs) But I was just like, I I like appreciate when people compliment my work and, you know, say what a good job I'm doing. But don't ask for my hand in marriage. when you're looking when you're looking for a job you know we see that a lot too and i i don't know what people are thinking what men are thinking when when they're giving these these you know surface level compliments in in the context of either getting advice on a career or getting a job and instead it just comes off as creepy you know i like i have good guy friends who are also work colleagues who will say something you know nice about like oh you look really good today, like very powerful. You got a good suit on and you're like, okay, cool. Right. That's fine. But like people are complimenting my looks and I have no idea who you are. That's creepy. If you're asking me out and I don't know who you are, that's creepy. There's the line. And it's like, I love to hang out with people from work and grab drinks. And I talk to people and catch up about life and, you know, all that stuff. And I think that's wonderful, but I don't stalk people to other cities. And I, I don't think it should be the other way around either. I don't think this is, I don't think anybody should do that, woman or man. That doesn't sound like a good idea. So these two confessions, there's a lot going on with these, isn't there, Michael? Yeah, you could say that. Um, I don't know. Where do we start? Well, all right. As always, we close out uh, the episode with our one big takeaway each. And I'll go first. Um Okay, since it's fresh, I'm going to start with that last confession. And the big takeaway for me is to just not be weird in the workplace. Like, seriously. I mean, honestly, I would kind of just assume that stuff like this 
is a given. Like my my you know takeaway to not be weird. Like that shouldn't be something I have to say. But um, I, let me make a confession of my own though, real quick, because that confession that we heard before. We had like five more that were pretty much just like this one. So we, we ended up choosing this one. I mean, and the others, it's not like they made an unsolicited cross-country trip to see their married coworker, but very similar confessions about men putting women in uncomfortable positions in the workplace. And um, those all came from women. Funny enough, we didn't get one confession from a man about something similar. So it sort of confirms my belief that this is a widespread issue, um, but... I don't know. It seems like men are the ones that are sort of causing this issue. And I, look, I know that we're all adults in the workplace, but it is the workplace. Like, even if we're not in a physical office, like most of us these days, like it is, it's your work slack. It's your work, you know, whatever channel you're using to talk with your coworkers. So uh, I don't want to say that like dating a coworker is wrong, but you, you have to think really hard about how any of your actions are going to make the other person feel. If, if you are thinking about your situation and you're not 100% about how the other person would feel if you did something like, I don't know, fly halfway across the country to surprise them, it's probably best to just move on. Um, look, if you're looking for love, I would I would suggest you probably don't try to look for it in, in the workplace. Maybe you look elsewhere. Yeah, I think that's a pretty safe bet. Seriously, guys, read the room. Women are not looking for you to shoot your shot at work, so... Uh, let's just make that clear. Yeah, I, I really don't think that they are. Well, that is a doozy of a takeaway. Um, I'll lighten it up a little bit. I think uh, I'll pull my takeaway from the communication conundrum confession. What I got from, along with the discussion with Melissa, is that even when we're not in the product leadership position, we can make ourselves product leaders. We can act the way that a product leader would act, and it's likely to get noticed. In this situation, communication is failing. And that is on the product leader. But if nothing is being done about it, you don't have to just throw your hands up and assume that nothing can be done about it. The best thing you can do to help the situation is to lead. Be that person who is proactively communicating. Be that person to create a better process for others to communicate. It's definitely not easy, but the payoff can be big. It can help you improve your ability to do great work, but it can also help position yourself as a product leader who takes action. And who knows, maybe that can help you land that next big promotion that you've been angling for. That is a great one, Michael, for sure. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of Rocket Ship. We have two more confessions and a brand new guest expert all next week. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network, and if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.